0: We'll
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Exploring Art Podcast, a Florida International University student podcast for the creative curious. I'm your host, Will, and I'm very pleased to have Robert and Jasmine joining me on the panel. Welcome to the Exploring Art Podcast. So 18th century English gardens differ from those of the present day in many, in many respects, most notably in their lack of flowers and their profusion of temples, follies, and grottos. These gardens, these gardens performed other functions beyond that of pleasing the senses. In particular, they conveyed sophisticated messages to those who wandered through them. Thus, 18th century writers, as well as present-day commentators and historians, used the phrase, reading a garden, to describe the viewer's experience of these landscapes. One of the most famous of all such gardens was designed by William Ken at Stowe in Buckinghamshire. One section of the garden, known as the Elysian Fields, contained an architectural complex consisting of three temples. The first was the Temple of Ancient Virtue, a round classical structure based on the Temple of Vesta at Tivoli. Inside were statues of Homer, Socrates, Lycurgus, and (laughs) Epaminotus, representing the greatest poet, philosopher, lawgiver, and general, respectively, of the ancient world. Nearby was the Temple of Modern Virtue. This was in the less refined Gothic style and was, moreover, built as a ruin. Downhill from these two temples, across a small stream, lay the Temple of British Worthies. This semicircular structure had 16 niches, each containing a bust of a British notable. The statues looked uphill to their ancient predecessors. The significance of the architectural style and topographical placement of this this ensemble was further enhanced by Kant's choice and alteration of inscription. A quotation from Virgil appears without a crucial line praising the priesthood. Queen Anne is not among the British worthies. 18th century viewers would have noticed these omissions and grasped their anti-Catholic anti-Stuart message. When we read Stowe's Elysian Fields, do we unpack its message any differently than we would that of a literary text or a painting? Is reading a garden like reading a book? What sorts of gardens can be read? Are there limits to the kinds of messages a garden or a landscape can convey? No, no, that that's
0: so, actually a mouthful when it comes to gardens. So can you break that down for us?
1: Uh, Yeah, so first uh, we can consider whether the practices of reading a garden garden has any contemporary significance uh, in landscape and architecture design. So Jasmine, could you tell us about how these modern gardens continue to convey messages and narratives to viewers? Oh, I'm so sorry, I read you the wrong question.
0: (laughs) It's fine, it's Uh... fine, we can keep going. So okay.
2: I'll just start off with the garden itself. Um, so Kent was one of the most prominent 18th century architects and is credited with many others with the birth of the English garden. And so the garden at So was influenced by Italian architecture, which he drew a lot of inspiration from and many other, like, of his works so the garden contains a bridge a man-made lake a villa a couple of temples statues and strategically placed ruins all on the estate of this english country house the water throughout the garden enhances the aesthetics and gives it a more natural earthy feel and he plays around with the elevation in the garden which adds more depth and allows the viewers to experience the garden from different viewpoints he also adds temples, which adds symbolic meaning to the garden in many ways. And he puts a lot of thought into the changing seasons. His choice of plants was influenced by the seasons, making sure the garden stayed visually appealing throughout the year. So- No,
0: I've, no, uh, I've got to say, now I'm hearing all of this, it sounds really beautiful. I, I can genuinely imagine seeing myself uh, sitting there. So uh, what else can you tell us about the garden?
2: It's one of the more, like, popular gardens in the um, Great Britain. And it it's, like, iconic. It's known for its, like, gothic architecture and, like, the meaning and, like, the feeling it gives people when they visit.
1: So you told us about some of the distinctive elements and characteristics that set these gardens apart from other contemporary landscapes. Now, uh, are there any unique characteristics of 18th century English gardens, uh, specifically with their focus on architectural structures like temples, um, and do those differ in any way from a modern garden design?
2: So English gardens typically included a body of water rolling hills, bridges, and other picturesque elements. English gardens of this time were reflective of the Romantic period, and this shift in architectural style led to more naturalistic buildings. This includes things such as bodies of water, organic shapes, the use of native plants, and other things that incorporate natural-looking architecture. But garden design has changed a lot since then, And modern garden design involves a lot of geometric shapes. It focuses on clean, sleek lines with a focus on neatness. And this differs from the 18th century style of like natural, rugged, like gardens. So, this use of modern color in the garden uh, consists of a focus on the color green with an accent color or two. So there's not much color in modern gardens, but eighteenth century gardeners put a focus on like colorful plants to create like visually appealing
0: scenes. Right.
2: Interesting.
0: Right. Um you can look at gardens nowadays and actually really see like you look at the differences and it does seem like it's a night and day thing. I mean yeah, back then stuff was easier to afford, and well, those people had way more money than us. But I, I can really imagine like gardens like that, they could just be just sprawling,
1: beautiful pieces.
2: Yeah, that's really no, what yeah. they look like back then.
1: And uh, it's interesting that you uh mentioned like the geometric shapes that make up a lot of modern gardens because I know. Personally, and a lot of other people share this opinion, but uh, a lot of people don't like like the minimalistic aesthetic of these like simplistic geometric shapes and modern art in general, including gardens. And uh, I personally think that classical style that we see in uh, the Temple of Ancient Virtues kind of reflective of the Greco-Roman classical aesthetic uh, is a lot cleaner, I think. But um, there's a lot of symbolic messages conveyed through architecture and, la- and the layout of the fields. So I mentioned the Greco-Roman classical aesthetic that they use in the uh, or that, sorry, Kent uses in the uh, temple of ancient virtues, and that reflects the contemporary style of the historical figures housed inside. Uh, so these figures come from like ancient Greece and ancient Rome, right? So it reflects their, style and uh, the temple's radial symmetry and its consistent rhythm between the pillars and its use of ionic order columns uh, conveys this idea of refinement and order and then on the other hand you have the temple of modern virtues which was deliberately built as a ruin and the rougher rudimentary gothic style so like this stark contrast that kent uh, brings up suggests that he thought highly of the wisdom of ancient times and he's suggesting that modern human has strayed from that refined nature and pales in comparison to our ancient counterparts.
0: But I mean, you, you can say in both ways, there are beautiful in their own right.
1: That's true. I, I think it's important to appreciate uh, both sides for sure.
0: Right. Right.
1: All right. So, um, I, as I mentioned, there's a lot of like, uh, different styles that go in a lot of aspects that go into reading a garden so the experience of reading a garden uh how does that differ Jasmine could you tell us how that differs from reading a literary text or looking at a painting so what are the differences and similarities
2: so we can read both literary texts and gardens it's just in a different way when we read a garden we have to find the meaning like within ourselves and not from the words on a page. So gardens are usually created with like a theme or purpose in mind, but it's usually left up to the viewer more to interpret other than reading words on a page. The arrangements of plants, structures and more helps create like this image, this theme, but they're similar in the way they can both use like metaphors and symbolism to deliver a message. And gardens create a more immersive experience, such as like the sense of flowers, sounds of wildlife, and other things give you more layers to like analyze and dissect. And the use of space, being able to move throughout this garden really paints like a bigger picture, different than just reading like straight up words off a page
1: oh yeah definitely i i think it's really interesting the sensory side that you mentioned how it incorporates all senses sorry to cut you off there robert
0: yeah it's no problem i i can fully agree with what um is basically being said um the more you look at it the more it really just boils down to uh you being able to accept just the fact that um a lot of senses that we can take in and such like i enjoy smells of flowers and enjoying these sorts of gardens. And the more I think about it, like, yeah, no,
1: these gardens are pretty beautiful. No, yeah, definitely. So um, you mentioned their beauty, but Robert, could you tell me about how the design and layout of a garden reflects the creative vision of its designer and how maybe it relates to other art, art forms?
0: So, sure. Um, So for a long time, uh, people have kind of, question whether or not um, gardens could be considered uh, artistic form, you know, an artistic form expression. Uh, The more you look into it, like they are uh, more or less a canvas that uh, an artist can work with. It's just this one is a lot more natural. Um, You're working with stuff like aesthetic intent. Uh, Like other art forms, gardens often have a deliberate aesthetic You know, choice of plants, colors, textures, and just the overall uh, layout uh, can fulfill a designer's vision. Uh, You also have spatial composition. All all of this, something like the space of the garden, that is another choice made by an artist or the symbolism and meaning of it. Uh, Every artist can convey any sort of message or their own experiences just by promoting their gardens or, or any garden. Uh, we looked at color theory recently. You look at a field of red roses. You think uh, deep burning passion. You, you look at a uh, field of blue flowers. You're just thinking, man, this place is really calm. So um, you can really say that um, if you want to consider it, gardens can be really looked at as um, a, a great art form to really look at.
1: No, agreed. Uh, there's a lot of expression that can be, or sorry, there's a lot that can be expressed through gardens. Um, and there's a lot of various different types that can, of gardens that to be read. So are there any specific styles or designs that may be more conductive to conveying meaning through uh, specific elements in gardens, Robert?
0: Uh, well, we have um, memorial gardens where you're trying to, like, Remember, uh, key moments in history. Uh, you can look at like war memorials or uh, gardens that are set up around there. You notice that for those sorts of memorials, specifically towards war, you notice that there are uh, poppy flowers tend to be grown around. Uh, there are symbolic gardens, meditation gardens. Uh, with meditation gardens in particular, you see that they have the Zen stones, that uh the Zen gardens. Where you have people raking these beautiful shapes into them and by the end of it you know people see that as oh it is a beautiful piece but there's futility in that beauty because you know within a certain amount of time it is it is gone or um there are people who use gardens as sort of like a healing place uh we all can stem and say that yeah we are connected to nature and being able to go back to a place where you're like, yeah, I'm one with nature and being around all of this, it, it feels calming to a lot of people.
1: Yeah, definitely. What you mentioned about the futility of like Zen gardens, for example, I think is really interesting. Uh, Just like how the act itself is kind of the meditative process instead of the product um, and the expressiveness that comes from or sorry, the the meaning that comes out of uh, the fact that it will be destroyed. Uh, so gardens are, as you just described, a wonderful medium of art. But of course, as with any other medium, there comes limitations as to the messages that they can convey. So could you tell me about the constraints on the narratives or symbolism that can be effectively communicated through its design uh, or through sure. garden design? Sorry.
0: Sure, sure. Um... In terms of the constraints, you really have to look at the big the big main two that you have to look at, money and the space you're working with. A- anybody can't really, like you or me, or let's say our parents, we can't really get up and just say, hey, I wanna make a massive garden to convey just how uh, my experiences through life. That's a lot of money, especially now with the cost of plants and everything, uh, as well as space. Uh, buying land, finding the necessary areas to put a garden, you know, gardens like this. It, it really is a major constraint on uh, just a creative vision somebody would have. Uh, there's also the problems of ecological or climate constraints. Not every flower grows in a uh, certain climates. You can have yellow bell flowers. Uh, those are native to actually where I'm from. In the Caribbean, they grow, you know, all year round with our tropical climate. But you uh, could try to bring them up here, and well, you'll have periods like winter and and such where those flowers might blo- might not bloom. So you know, the message wouldn't really be carried across properly.
1: Yeah, yeah, that that that's a valid criticism of gardens. I, I think just like a, there's a lot of uncontrolled variables, and it's a lot of effort to get them all done but um so this garden specifically that we were looking at by William Kent uh, was created in 18th century England and there's a lot of historical and political context surrounding it particularly anti-Catholic and anti stuart messaging conveyed uh in the actual garden so he deliberately left out Queen Anne's bus from the Temple of British Worthies. And, um...
0: <sighs> go, go ahead, take, go ahead, take your time. Take your time. We, <laughs> we really got a, a good bit of time to talk on this topic because it, it, the more you dig into it, it, it is a really uh, precise topic we could actually look into.
1: No, yeah, there's so much uh, that goes into it. And uh Britannica.com states that the Glorious Revolution of 1688 was one of the major events that kind of uh, led up to uh, this sort of, or this historical event, let's say. So In the Glorious Revolution resulted in the deposition of James II and the ascension of his daughter Mary II and her husband William III. So William III was his nephew, by the way, and son-in-law, and he ended up kicking him out of the throne, which I find to be kind of uh, messed up. But Queen Anne (laughs) is a notable name because she's Mary's sister, and she becomes the heir to the throne after Mary and William. So she ends up perpetuating this policy that they put in place of uh, banning Catholics from uh, from the throne. Uh, So Earlier, we touched on the ways in which viewers interpret and read gardens uh, differently to literary texts and paintings. So I kind of just wanted to circle back on that and discuss it a little bit more. So when we interpret a painted work, we mainly focus on its visual elements, like its composition, its texture and its color when it comes to literary works. Uh, I'd say we overall we focus on the overall structure, the style and the literary devices like metaphors and similes Mm -hmm. used in works uh, that contribute to how we interpret its meaning. Now, gardening, as opposed to painting or writing, it's a medium that allows for all the viewers sensory experiences to play a part in their interpretation. So, for example, the, the smell of a specific flower. Or the sound of the wind as it passes through an arrangement of foliage can be used to invoke emotions or convey some sort of commentary uh, about a subject. So the visual elements of the individual aspects, as well as the overall layout of a garden, also contribute to how we interpret them. Uh, betterhealth.vic.gov.au, an Australian resource, has a great uh instruction on the methods used to like kind of sort of stimulate the different senses in gardening, and how you can do that even uh, in your own home. So it ranges from the tactile sensations of a gravel path versus a paved one. And it also shows different sources of sound and how you can manipulate them. I just thought that was kind of interesting because um, gardens are one of those rare art forms where you can kind of mix all the senses, uh, kind of how we touched on earlier.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so what yeah. else can you tell us on that topic
1: um I mean the, the, there's not much more than what I said there but uh the, yeah just I it's a good garden it's a good
0: <laughs> I mean, you know you, you, you can look back at it and just be like yeah you know it's a, something like gardening and all of that um it really does, like, the messages that we can convey, the feelings that it can invoke, it it really is a sort of different experience, you know, from person to person. Yeah, I think it's the,
2: I think it's the, like, immersive experience, like, you can walk through a garden, like, it's all your senses, like you said. For
1: sure, and uh, it's, it's interesting because we 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 also touched on this earlier a little bit but the practice of reading a garden uh it a lot can be communicated through gardens right so its significance uh in modern times or in current times uh is pretty important so i wanted to touch on how modern gardens kind of convey messages and narratives to our viewers in methods that are different from what we see in Kent's garden here. So, considering the climate crisis we live in, gardens are a great medium to communicate a need for environmental protection and the certain despair that impending doom entails. Additionally, they double as proactive measures in favor of the environment by planting new trees and new plants in general. So. Uh, plants and soil on the planet. This is on the planet, not just gardens, but they account for about thirty percent of the carbon sink. So basically, they absorb thirty percent of the carbon emissions of the world. Um, and that's a huge chunk, especially since we're pumping out so much more carbon than we should be, or carbon dioxide, I should say. But um, I think gardens, uh, having more gardens, can only benefit the environment, right? And they uh they also will reflect environmental change as it gets progressively worse leading to potentially new interpretations of existing gardens as the landscape changes with the environment so uh primrose.co.uk shows how famous gardens around the world are deteriorating unfortunately due to the climate crisis so an example is Claude Monet's garden in Paris. So it's been drying out. This is a super vibrant garden. It has streams, bridges. Uh, it looked like weeping willows. I, I don't know too much about uh, fauna, but weeping willows, like hanging, hanging plants everywhere. Super colorful, but now it's all dried out. And due to like droughts in the area, it, all the plants have died. And then on top of that, the uh, Koishikawa Koruken Gardens in Tokyo were completely lost to wildfires. These beautiful cherry blossom trees just gone uh, yeah. because of it climate is, change.
0: It is really sad that we've you know lost some of these gardens, the cherry blossoms especially. I, I'm a big fan of uh, Japanese culture and the cherry blossoms. They're really big out there. So. Yeah, just knowing that we lost something like that, it it is really sad.
1: Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Well, anyways, Robert, Jasmine, I wanted to thank you guys so much for joining me today. Uh, I really appreciate it. And with that being said, this will conclude the Exploring Art podcast. Please subscribe to the Exploring Art podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. And thank you for listening. Please join us soon. And remember, stay curious. Thanks, guys. It was fun getting to talk about this topic. I
2: had a good time.